what has been emerging is more systematic ways to engineer the data. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of AI Leaders Podcast. I'm Sanjeev Vora, and I'm Global Lead for Accenture's Applied Intelligent Practice, and I'm your host today. Well, today is a special day, and we have a special guest to interact on an emerging topic in the field of artificial intelligence. So let me take an opportunity to introduce our special guest, Andrew Ng. I'm sure most of you know of him. He has been the founder and lead of Google Brain, adjunct professor of computer science at Stanford University, chief scientist at Baidu, founder of Coursera, Deep Learning, AI, and Landing AI. And he's been doing a lot of work in the last few years on AI and the evolution of AI. And we will be discussing about something that he shared last year, which is data-centric AI. Andrew, thanks for joining in. Um, uh, thanks for your time. Uh, I'm sure that people will, uh, this session will be useful for a lot of us. Uh, but before I deep dive and uh, dig in, uh, are you up for uh, quick, quick warm-up questions? It sounds great. Let's go for it. Uh, so tell me, what's your favorite uh, genre of music? Uh, you, I'm going to sound like a nerd. Uh, I actually listen to a lot of classical music. Uh, right now, one of the pieces I love is uh, Papa Bell's Canon. I'm trying to figure out how to play a piano-adapted version of, of Papa Bell, and I'm not doing very well yet. Andrew, I, and this, this goes to my next question. I mean, I think I know the answer, but maybe it's good for audience to know. But are you a night owl or early bird? Um, night owl. I, I I know that I have a lot of early bird friends that, you know, emit a um, feeling of uh, uh, moral superiority for their ability to wake up at 5 a.m. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of them. When I was younger, uh, the computers tended to be more free at night. And so you just had to, you know, Staying up at night meant you could run lots of compute-intensive jobs when everyone else was asleep, so your jobs could run faster. So I find a lot of my friends in tech uh, wound up being night owls because we got into the habit of staying up late to run our compute jobs when everyone else you know, wasn't using the servers, and so our jobs would run faster. Let's move to the content, and uh, uh, and I thought, and if I see that, you know, we have been always been talking about data being the food for AI, data being the source for AI. Without AI, there's no data. So when I heard you first time talking about data-centric AI, the question was, what's new about it, right? So Andrew, can you elaborate? What do you mean when you say data-centric approach? And how do you think about that approach? How it's different than traditional approaches? Yeah, so data-centric AI is uh, the emerging discipline of systematically engineering the data needed to build a successful AI system. I think we've known for a long time that data is important for AI. You know, there's big data uh, and, and people have been filling with the data and then improving for a lot of applications. But what has been emerging is more systematic ways to engineer the data. So rather than, uh, for example, in a lot of uh, computer vision or machine vision tasks, you know, sometimes the data is mislabeled. And what used to happen is we would count on the skill or luck of some data scientist or some machine learning engineer to maybe find a problem with the data and maybe clean it up or maybe not. And what has been emerging um, is more systematic tools that can tell you this part of your data is good, this part is problematic, um, so that instead of counting on the skill or luck of individual really good engineers, we can come up with software tools and maybe checklists or ways of approaching the problem so that lots of people can successfully engineer the data for the AI systems. And, and, and what's new is um, a lot of academic research in AI has focused on building models, inventing new neural network models. A lot of the stuff you see in the news is someone invented a new piece of software, a new AI model. Um, 
But with the data-centric approach, uh, I and many of my friends have been calling for more attention, not just on the software, but on you know improving the data. Because for a lot of applications, there's an open source machine learning model that works just fine. And it's going to be more, even more productive to engineer the data that you feed into the software. So that's been a shift in the mindset of you know a, a, a number of people, even if it's something that practitioners have been doing a little bit by hand for a long time. And are you uh, are you expecting people to uh, people to uh, use some sort of uh, other uh, app, other other technology or skills to kind of spend more time in in cleaning and curating the data sets? Is that the is that the approach? Yes, and I hope we will get there. I think we're in the early phases of coming up with making those skills systematic, and then also uh, next step building the tools. Maybe to make an analogy. About 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, started the rise of deep learning. And at the start, a lot of people were, a small number of people could do it, could build neural networks. And then after a while, you know, more of us started publishing papers and then more people could do it by implementing neural networks in C++. But it was still very error prone. Uh, but the principles became better known. And then eventually there came tools like TensorFlow and PyTorch that made it much easier for a lot of people to apply deep learning models. Um, I think the evolution of data-centric AI development is in an earlier phase. With more and more people publishing papers, like a Europe's workshop we ran uh, in 2021, you know, the principles are becoming a little bit more widespread. And they're just a small handful of teams, uh, including Landing AI, but a small handful of teams that are trying to invent tools that then a lot of people could use to make the data-centric approach more systematic. Um, and I think that for many practical applications, entering the data is just going to be a more practical way to get to good performance. And I think a lot of people, obviously, um, I mean, there are two problems that I see in the industry when we when we deal with the problems around data, right? And I just wanted to get your reaction to that. The first, the first one was basically the, in some cases, there isn't much data anyway. Like when we go to the sort things, see the problem, the data doesn't exist to that extent that is needed. To create uh, create an approach uh, or to create the right models, right uh, for that data set. So I just wanted to ask you: uh, is there is the is this approach also considers um, element of synthetic data creation as well, like where we don't have data? I mean, are you giving any guidance around that piece in, in terms of considering considering creating a data sets? Oh yeah, I say very much so. In fact, um, uh, one of the very effective ways to get the data you want is with you know data augmentation or synthetic data generation. Um, in fact, uh, one of the shifts we're seeing in the data-centric movement is instead of generating data once using maybe a computer graphics simulation and then you train an AI model, um, what I'm seeing is more and more teams are training an AI model and then incorporating the tuning of the computer graphics system, how you synthesize images in the closed loop of a machine learning system development. And again, this is a shift in mindset where instead of generating images almost as a pre-processing step that you do once to generate the data, it's now an iterative process where you train the AI model, see what isn't working yet, use that to go back to generate in a very targeted way more images of exactly what you need. Uh, and then retrain and then go back to generate more images. And now is it iteratively generating better and better images um, and making that part of the closed loop of machine learning project development is 
you know, gradual shift that's helping more teams use synthetic data. But I do think synthetic data is one important tool, other, including others as well, for um, engineering the data for AI system. Wow. And, it, and I, I can I can think about a few more things that I'm just building on what you just said. Um, but but before I go to the next one, uh, just wanted to ask you, is, is there an example uh, that you can share uh, which compares this approach with the traditional approach of looking at multiple techniques for building models and then comparing and validating those models and trying to see how we can get a better performance. I mean, when you are when you talk about data-centric approach, it seems like you spend a little more time on data, you probably get can get higher performance, right? That's what it's saying. So, or higher out, output. So, uh, but is there is there an example in mind that you have seen recently or where you had seen that shift uh, of data versus model-centric approach? Yeah, so maybe uh, uh, I've seen this in a lot of applications, but just to use one, uh, well, I see a lot of this in, um, in manufacturing and industrial automation examples since I spent a lot of time there in AI. But very often we work with a customer to train a machine learning system to detect defects of some manufactured thing, as you know, pictures of something that was manufactured, trying to detect dents or scratches, maybe a smartphone or something else. Um, and for a lot of projects, our customers had already maybe already had a data set and were downloading uh, open source after open source cutting edge state of the art model in order to try to um, find the perfect model to do great on the data set. And they can do this for months and make relatively little progress. And what we've seen a few times is we go in and say, hey, you know, one, one of these models is just fine. The state of the art will work fine for the application. But let's instead go look at um, how you define a scratch. Did you know that Inspector 2 and Inspector 3 actually define scratches differently? Uh, so let's get them together, have them define consistently, and improve the quality of the data. And we find that on projects that our customers had you know, for months not made that much progress with a data-centric methodology using tools to help them engineer the data in sometimes you know, large numbers of days, maybe very small numbers of weeks, they make much more progress than 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 was possible with the other approaches. So I see this. I see. I've also seen this work in uh, speech recognition in natural language processing, and at the NeurIPS conference, uh, NeurIPS workshop uh, in 2021, December 2021, there were tons of examples, everything from OCR to deep sea robotics to uh, medical imaging to tons of examples where others were observing this type of pattern as well. That also goes, and there's a related question on that one. So when, when you look at this approach that you're mentioning, uh, what sort of skills, uh, consideration will be required to do this activity um, by the data scientists and people who are in this area, right? People who are who know machine learning, who know deep learning, data scientists. I mean, do they need to spend more time now qualifying data? I mean, then actually it's just working on the best model they can produce. I and mean, do you see the shift of knowledge and any comments on their, what sort of skills they need to develop or hone on? Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. Over the last decade with the rise of deep learning, the field's gotten more complex. So I feel like today, um, understanding the state-of-the-art models, that is still important. So people should, you know, to build a cutting-edge AI model, you do need to know what are the cutting-edge neural network architectures and pick the right one and really tune it well. Having said that, what I see is that for a lot of applications, there will be some open-source neural network architecture that you can get for free and suitably licensed that work just fine. And what that means is um, 
finding the right open source model and tuning it, which is important. So you've got to understand that piece, but that doesn't take as long. And now you can spend more of the time. So what you said, Sanjeev, of qualifying the data, fixing the data, generating more data, uh, uh, that results in a better AI model. And then Puppet, one higher level, one thing that you and I have chatted a lot about over the last year, many, many months, uh, small numbers of years is, is the other really hard thing still is matching these, um, AI models to the business application and closing, closing that gap. That still remains a struggle. Yep. No, that makes sense. Uh, completely makes sense. And I think now the, what's happening is that, you know, some people and some of our uh, leaders in the industry, they are, they obviously are, reading more and getting more involved in understanding the large language models and what's happening in GPT-3 and and likes of that. And they started now looking at making, just trying to understand more about how they can use that effectively for business applications or business models uh, in the business, right? How they can generate value from there and investment in that. But what will their, what is, what is your view on that? I mean, um, do they, Given the approach that you just mentioned, does it make sense to make a larger investment in those those uh, tool sets and those technologies, or is it important to just first understand you know what they need? I mean, what's your recommendation for these for for people as to how they should approach uh, approach their investment profile and roadmap for creating their AI code in the in the companies? I think for many businesses with a uh, you know reasonable but not very large AI budget. Uh, I would tend to focus on starting the use cases and thinking through the applications and the ROI. Um, I think the large language models this is a great technology. You know, I deep respect for the work that uh, OpenAI did on GPT-3 and the various competitors and alternatives thereof of these large language models. It's a wonderful technology. Definitely encourage anyone doing basic research to look at it. Hopefully, lots of people will keep on investing in that and move the whole field forward. Um, I think it could be a great technology for some applications. I see teams using GPT-3 to adapt it to make chatbots do clever things or to summarize documents, to fix grammar or something. Uh, but to most business-oriented teams, I, I'd be cautious about making a big investment in technology uh, of a, a, sp- a very specific technology prior to fleshing out the use case and the ROI. Uh, but I do think the use case and ROI could be there for, for some businesses. So maybe I think I think so you and I have probably have a some philosophy on this. I think really exciting technology, but then for most business oriented teams, you know, starting the use case, thinking through the ROI, right? That that could be a could be a more promising approach to to making the bigger investment. No, that's good. And I think I go back to the question that I may have asked earlier, but let me just rephrase it. I and mean, if if there's if 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 people have to go through this data centric approach, which means they should invest invest time disproportionate you know let's say investment in the area of you know making sure the data is rich and done well so that ai can actually create that level of performance and output that they're looking at is there a framework or is there an approach that you would suggest how to actually build this capability like is there a method to the madness of how to do this yeah so i would say common advice to you know chief ai officers or chief data officers is uh start small run a relatively small pilot project, put one thing into production, you know, rather than trying to build something grand right away. I know that many boards will say, give me a whatever year plan, then I'll prove the budget, then you could go and do it. But I find that um, for most organizations, building up the organizational capability happens better by doing smaller projects so that the team can start to train, hire, build capability, 
and only with growing capability to then uh, it, it then becomes more able to think through how to keep on growing this ambition. So I've seen more companies fail by starting too big than fail by starting too small. Um, and by doing one or two projects, that often helps you make better decisions as well about what further investments to build. So, so rather than spending, you know, X tens of millions of dollars uh, uh, building the data infrastructure, hoping it'll be useful for something in the future. Instead, I think if you uh, find even a small use case and get that done, then that actually tells you what's the most fruitful way to invest to improve your data infrastructure and improve AIT and improve these capabilities and then to gradually step up the size of the investments uh, as well as the capabilities. Thanks. And, uh, and Andrew, this is great. I think this was a very useful uh, session. I just want to ask you one more question. Uh, what is the what are you working on right now, which is exciting, which you're open to sharing with all of us? Some ideas I'm excited about. I let some I let AI teams and you know a couple of the large consumer internet software companies. Uh, I think that was and remains the exciting thing to do. But what excites me a lot now is how to take AI to all of the other industries, all of the other industries, because it turns out the recipe for AI adoption in consumer software internet companies, which have, you know, a hundred million or maybe a billion users is quite different from what is needed in other industries. In consumer software internet, because you have so many users using a homogenous, relatively homogenous product, you can build one monolithic AI system, like a web search engine or speech recognition system that serves a lot of users and the economics for that works out. But when you go to other industries, uh, such as manufacturing, where it's not about one monolithic inspection system. It's about for each of 10,000 factories, each of which makes something different. How do you help each one of them build their own custom AI system? Uh, or in healthcare, every hospital has a slightly different way of encoding medical records. So rather than a monolithic AI system, I think every healthcare system, or maybe even every hospital, will need their own AI system for building their own, you know, for reading their own healthcare records. So the thing that excites me is how do we build tools to enable the customers to do their own customization? And that's the, and I think that the data-centric AI technology, uh, which Landing AI is working on, I think that would be a key part, maybe the key part of the recipe, because it'd be easier for the IT staff in a manufacturing firm or in healthcare IT or something else to engineer the data uh, in a way that lets them express their domain knowledge to then help them get the custom AI system that they need. So I think data-centric AI, it, it, it sounds simple maybe, but I think it's actually very hard technology. So many days I find myself you know, debating the engineers, really find nuances on how to move that technology forward. Thanks very much, Andrew. It was a great pleasure talking to you. And I think we share a very common uh, perspective on this, uh, on, this, uh, on this topic as we really want to get uh, to a place where the technology can be used for business application, creating a value. And I think this approach that you just mentioned is much more pragmatic approach of taking the step forward in using AI uh, and uh, just not fall to uh, in huge investments into technology itself without looking at the business problem and the data, which is a food for AI, as we always talked about. So, uh, <laughs> so I think this is a very, very good discussion. Uh, I loved uh, discussing with you. I loved hearing your views again. And I hope you enjoyed it and uh, stay tuned. And please do not forget to subscribe. Thank you very much for your time.